Today, Generation 2020 is my title. Now, you know, as a church, we've been looking at this idea of Vision 2020, and obviously, we're two years away from 2020, and 2020 has connotations of sight and seeing, and so we're going to bring all those together. God has given us the gift of the generations through our family, through the wider society that we are a part of, and whether we like it or not, we derive great significance from our context, those that we have received from, those that we are influencing, and those that we are going to bless when we leave. But today, we are located in a specific time in the way that we are working out this influencing and blessing and receiving, and we are right now in 2018. And my question to you that's going to be asked through this sermon is, as a generation, will you be a people that survive or influence the 2020s? Now, I don't know if you've been following our senior minister's videos over the last number of weeks on the 2020 vision. If you haven't seen any of them, I strongly encourage you to go to kt.org to check them out because he's setting for us a direction and vision as a church and, and an impetus as a church to be where God is calling us to be. And particularly the ways that he's emphasizing or the areas that he's emphasizing is that we would be a maturing. We don't mean all of us getting older and older in age, but we mean a maturing in the faith, growing strong in the things of God, a multiplying, growing in our numer numerical size as well as our spiritual depth, and third, mobilizing, getting into the world and influencing the world for God's glory. And all of these are tied together with the core goal of influencing and making a difference in the generation that we are a part of. If we don't organize ourselves in meaningful ways as the body of Christ, spirit-led ways, we will miss out on the opportunities that we have and the influence that we could have to make a difference for many, many lives to come. It's in that context that I want to read this passage, and it's a little bit of an extended passage, Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14. Um, just to say, we, we have a new goal, 20 minutes of preaching. So your cue to me is falling asleep in 20 minutes, if I've gone over. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Intense passage, I get it. But hopefully I'm going to put, draw some principles out of this that we can use meaningfully in our deliberations as to how we're going to grow in following Jesus. Now, a generation is all of the people that are born or living around a certain time 
regarded as a whole or regarded collectively. And we are representatives of many generations here in the room today. Now, the years categories that I'm going to share with you, you know, they're well known and, and, and obviously debated from time to time. Um, it's not really about the years in terms of definitions. It's about the qualities that are brought in the context of those generations and the things that are manifested in humanity here on the earth. So we've got baby boomers in the room. Probably still a few of you left over, 1940s to 1964. Don't mean to insult you with that throwaway comment. <laughs> I should uh, give myself a slap. Baby boomers. So if you were born before 1964, you're in the baby boomer category. 1965 to 1980, we got Generation X, which is where the X-Men came from, and so on. 1980s to 1995, the millennials, or the Y generation, or some people call them the net generation. And this is really the generation where postmodernism really came to the fore in terms of uh, general experience of society. Then after the millennials, we have the I generation, or the Zoomers, or the post-millennials. Now these are presently defined as 1995 to 2005. That's your birth year. Uh, you were born between 1995 and 2005. Now, if we had postmoderns with the Y generation or the net generation, with the postmillennials, the Z generation, we've got postmillennials, post-analogs. That means they don't any longer know how we use those old-school TVs. It's all digital. Post-materialist, but also post-truth, post-Christian, post-church, post-institution. So really, that generation, to some people, is defined by what they've come after. But let's look at what they are first of. They are the first fully mobile generation. They have never known a world that was limited to phone lines and desktop computers. They are completely mobile in their interactions with the net. Multitaskers, you know, I never know how people can watch a movie and at the same time be on their phone video calling with their friends. I want to watch the movie, forget about my friends. Or talk to my friends, forget about them doing both. This multitasking thing is a feature of the uh, I generation. And really where they're starting, the I generation is starting to surprise analysts is the I generation is more optimistic than my generation, the millennial generation. They believe that things will be better than the millennial generation believe. Uh, they have different preferences when it comes to buying. They don't go to shops anymore. They just one-click shop. They prefer to communicate with people via Snapchat rather than having a real chat. And there is a greater desire for spirituality being awakened amongst the post-millennials that we really need to consider in how we are reaching out and making a difference. Now, we don't know yet what the generation after this uh, post-millennial or I-generation group is going to be called because they kind of wait until you're entering the workforce um, and uh, in education to start to understand the ways that people are uh, reacting and acting in response to their environment. But if our present time is anything to go by, there are some big challenges. The next generation will probably be post-gender. They will probably be post-generational. They will not know the definitions of man and woman. They will not know the definitions of age, and you are old and you are young, because people will be able to be much more flexible in their self-definitions. And in maybe either that generation or the generation after, the next one, post-human. Now, you might think that that's a crazy suggestion, and it sounds pretty crazy, but with the advancements of technology, I'm not just talking about robots and you sitting and having a conversation with a robot. 
but I'm talking about hybrid functionality where they embed phone chips and so on into your body. Now, these things are maybe science fiction at the moment, but that's the direction that, uh, that some people are trying to take us as humanity. But certainly the robots thing is real and present. Do any of you get those uh, phone calls where it's silent until you say hello? And then someone says, hello, my name is Sandra Kay. And you're like, no, you're not. You're a robot. But more and more, robots are calling you. More and more, they're having conversations with you. They're listening to your responses and then filtering, what should I say next? And then they give you the next line and you say something more and they give you the next line and they give you something more. And maybe after five minutes of conversation, if you confuse them enough, they might send you to a real human being. But the reality is that we're having conversations today with robots. There are men and women creating machines which can sit alongside you and talk with you and replace the real human being. You can have a robot for a lifelong companion. So these are real concerns that we need to be aware of. Now, if that's true of society, generations, and you can spend all day looking into that, I'm not here to give you a whole lecture on that, just to uh, scope some of what we're talking about today. We also need to be aware that there are generations within the church. There's a generation that grew up in a context where you are taught, don't discuss faith, don't discuss politics. They're taught that the ministry is the work of the pastor. They're taught to have no expectation of integrity in the pastor. They're also taught to have no expectation of functionality as a body. They're just challenged to come and sit and listen and uh, do their thing, give their tithe and see you later. That was one generation. We're very much now part of a different generation where faith has become something that we express via our social media, be it via our own sharing of lifestyle, wanting to be people of influence. And we're also recognizing that there's a great transition in terms of the ministry of the church, away from pastors doing things to church doing things. And it's taking up, it's becoming more regular. We're seeing people come back to us with, I want somebody to Christ. I've prayed for someone sick and seen them healed. Um, and more and more members of the church are becoming full of faith for miracles in and through their lives. And we want to ask the question, what is the church of this generation and into the next generation going to look like? Are we going to become more and more like what Christ calls us to through the Word of God? Or are we going to be a generation like generations past where we backslide, where we become privatized in our faith again, where we don't uh, express the truth publicly, where we adopt a syncretistic viewpoint? That is where we blend truths. And I want to tackle that in just a moment. Now, you might say, Gabriel, all of this stuff, I don't believe you, and I particularly don't believe you when I say that, when you say that Jesus has anything to do with this, uh, because we, one of the things that I featured earlier was the idea of post-Christian. Have you heard that term before, post-Christian? Now, if you're in England, you can talk about us being a post-Christian nation because of the heritage of rich Christian faith. It's why we've got churches all over the place but also the fact that those churches are sitting empty. Why are they sitting empty? Because people have seemingly abandoned faith. But we wouldn't say that we are in a post-Christian faith or a place where Christ is no longer because Christ still, the word that they use is haunts people. Now, we don't believe that Christ is a ghost, okay? <laughs> but that Jesus is still there in the consciousness of people. If you say to someone, and this is why, if you say to somebody, I'm a Christian, their immediate response is, who says I'm a bad person? 
how dare you say, wait, I didn't say anything about you. I said, I'm a Christian. But it's the fact that Christ still sits somewhere in the psyche that people respond in that kind of a way. And I want to challenge you today, if that's you and you're somebody that's angry with God, don't be haunted by your image of who God is, but rather turn and face Him and walk with Him. Now, our question today is, if we look forward two years, or if we look forward to the following 10 years after that, who are we and where are we going to be? Especially you young people here in the place today, if you're under 25, I want to speak also directly to you in this context because you're in that phase of life where you believe innovation is possible. And I want to challenge you to set your goal of innovation in a Christ-centric way. I'll explain more about that in just a minute. But for those of us who are right now enjoying the 30s, 40s, 50s, and all of the baby boomers, what are we going to invest? What are we going to pass on? What are we going to teach and train our children and our disciples and our friends and family in terms of the things of God? <clears throat> now, when I spoke about the idea of 2020, I also brought in the idea of vision. What kind of vision are we living with? So here, through the next 15 minutes or so, I want to unpack just some principles of what we can seek to do to be an influencing generation as a church, to see how we can make a difference among the people that we are among. And I want to access that by coming back to this passage that I was speaking about and introducing you to a concept called anti-fragility. Have any of you heard of the concept of anti-fragility? One of you? Okay, great. Um, we're going to watch a short video in just a moment to crystallize this for you. But I read you a very challenging passage. Jesus is telling his disciples about wars, rumors of wars, people being led astray, earthquakes, nations against nation, famines, kingdoms against kingdoms, and these being just the beginning. And then he goes on to talk about tribulations and even to death, and then talking about false prophets and lawlessness and people growing cold. These are all incredibly challenging statements. They're not what you came to church for at a 2.30 service on a Sunday afternoon. I'm conscious of that, but we need to get a little bit anti-fragile. So, I want to encourage you, check out the video, just a few moments. Forgive if there's any uh, beginnings and endings that are in a, irrelevant because it's, it is a YouTube clip, but let's watch it, and then I'll come back to unpack it. When we are unstressed, unchallenged, we can get broken by certain stresses. But he's saying if we apply minimal stresses on a regular basis or increasingly stretching stresses with the appropriate breaks and rest in between, we can develop a resilience whereby we become anti-fragile. We do not break under stressing situations. Now, in the context of everything I've said so far, the generations that we've addressed is the general movements of the people responding to their environments around them. And Jesus is giving us a foresight in what is to come in what we term the end times. Now, we might never see the end times. Who knows? They might be 20 years away. They might be 1,000 years away. We don't know. But what we certainly know is that meaningful things are happening now, which would suggest that we are moving towards those end times. And he's saying, in that time, these are the sorts of challenges that will happen. And either the challenges you can be ahead of, anti-fragile to, prepared for, able to make a difference, or you can break under those. If we were to look back at some of the generations that I've tackled, the issue of robots that we're addressing, people have no idea. They're going to make it and then regret it rather than 
know what's going to do and regulate, what's going to happen and regulate it. Same things that happen throughout, that we don't want to be a generation looking back and analyzing. We want to be a people that know what's coming and make a difference. And so, with Jesus' teaching here, I believe that there are some key principles that we can pull out that will position us to be anti-fragile and making a difference in the generation that we are a part of. And I want to share them with you, for you to wrestle with personally about how you can implement them in your life. Now, these aren't the sorts of things you can just sit here and say, good point, Gabriel, and then forget about it. These are the sorts of things that we need to wrestle with for the next 5, 10, 15 years of our life. First, most basic, how do we become a people of love? Now, it might sound like the funny word to pick out of all of the ones that we could have picked, but this is the core one, I believe, to this passage, and the core one, I believe, to how we will endure to the end. And that is that we set our heart to loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, why is that relevant? We live in a context, a generation, where people are more individualized than ever before. It used to be that family was the context in which we identified and grew up and remained. But now, people are taught from a very young age, develop yourself so that you can leave your family behind as soon as possible and go on to be an individual. And the message is repeated then through the way that people interact. We, let's face it, we've learned as a generation that what it is to be let down. Let down by leaders, let down by people we trust, let down by people that we love, let down by people that we confided in or even betrayed. And our solution so far, what society generally has done, is to break, be fragile. To say, you know what, the way that I'm going to resolve this whole problem is to keep you all at a distance. The wall is here and I'm back here. But what is the anti-fragile solution? The anti-fragile solution is what Jesus teaches, forgiveness. And Gordon was saying it this morning, I don't know if you're here. He was saying his test of his spirituality is how quickly does he forgive? Is he doing well with God? Well, he'll forgive real quick. It'll be a matter of a couple of minutes on his knees within the moment of somebody having sinned against him. But if we are not on fire for God, it might take us years. It might take, you might be in the middle of your third decade of being angry at your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or your uncle. Still carrying that anger and that hatred and that rage towards them in the language that we've been using, that's fragility. And God calls us to be anti-fragile or anti-offendable by practicing forgiveness. To become a people of love, we need to start with forgiveness. But then we also need to start to surround ourselves with people that can help us by showing us what love looks like and then that we can help. Now, I don't mean that they're the same people. The people that train us show us so that we can be a blessing to others, not so that we can bless them back. That just creates a closed circle. We want to be a people that increasingly sow and invest generationally what it is to love people. So we learn how to love, show other people how to love. As a disciple maker, in this context, never go anywhere alone. That's principle one, become a people of love. <clears throat> Second, become a people of truth. Now, we have a greater challenge now more than ever before in terms of defining truth, because truth has been subjectified. What that means is truth is now in the hands of you. It is no longer an objective thing that we can stand outside of and look at together. You set your truth, I set my truth. 
The tragedy is when my, my madness becomes your truth. How do you then know how to live? Especially in the context we live in where there's fake news. One of the pieces that we need to get really good at, anti-society at in this regard, is we gotta say no to the 10 second scroll. You know how you watch things just for 10 seconds? That's what they say about us, that our attention span is only 10 seconds. If your, if your YouTube clip is not interesting in that first moment, I'm going on something else. If your sermon sucks, I'm going on something else. Never listening to anything more than 10 seconds makes you susceptible to fake news. You simply grab all of the information around you and you can just see a headline that's total lies, but you accept it as though it's total truth. How do we resolve this? Interestingly enough, we've got to go back to the books, be a people that read and read and read and read and read and read, but read with the Holy Spirit. And for us to make a difference in the generations to come, we need to know what truth is. So we need to know what love is and we need to know what truth is. This is also difficult for us as Christians because we've got a whole load of crazy prophets out there. Prophets who are saying that they're speaking on behalf of God when really they're speaking on behalf of themselves. As part of our quest to become people of truth, we need to know how to differentiate between those who are speaking on behalf of God and those who are speaking on behalf of their own agenda. Point number three, we gotta become a people of hope. How can we become a people of hope? Now Jesus is talking about stuff that is terrible. War, earthquakes, famines, betrayal, nations going against nations. These are all terrible things, except when we consider them in the light of fragility and anti-fragility. When we think of these things which are part of the normal course of our life here on this earth as end of days type issues, we become fragile. We assume that that tragedy means the end of all things. And yet, if you went to speak to somebody that was in that situation, you would find in them a resilient hope. They're still alive. They still got their loved ones, or as many as were able to survive. They still believe in a future. They still believe that something can happen that will turn things around for good. As Christians, if we know these things are gonna happen, when the world is facing brokenness, we're called to be a people that have insight. Part of that insight is knowing God so profoundly and knowing that he is in control that we can believe that something good is gonna come out of brokenness. This is the biggest paradox of the Christian faith. Death can be turned to life. Brokenness can be given great meaning. Why? Because God is all-powerful and is in control but the demonstration of his power is not in its fullest at this point in time. And this is a place where people get messed up. They say, well, if he's in charge and he's all powerful, then he should just fix this right now. And the promise is that he is going to fix it. That's what the scripture tells us. That's why Jesus shared these words with us. He said, these are the things that are to come. And at the end, by the end, everyone will have heard the gospel. And the gospel is the news of hope that the world is gonna be put back together perfect. That our broken lives are gonna be put back together perfect. That our broken relationships are gonna be put back together perfect. 
That's what heaven will be. Not angels tweeting around, flying and landing on little clouds and firing little arrows, but a perfect world. That's the new heavens and the new earth that Scripture speaks about. That's the message of the kingdom of God. And as people of hope, we can say, you know what? I can see right now you're struggling. I've been there. But let's just reach out ahead and grab a little bit of what is to come and bring it into the now. A little bit of that which God has promised and see it realized here. That's what hope is about. Whether it's miracles and seeing God heal people or God's perspective on a situation that gives something that looks really broken incredible meaning. When we start to reach out by faith and lay hold of that future and bring it into the now, we are building testimonies of faith of what God can do. Point number four, become a people of eternity. Centered in everything that I've just said, point one, point two, point three, people of love, people of truth, people of hope, is the idea that there is an eternity. Does what we do now echo in that eternity? Does what we give our life for now make a difference eternally for the people around us? And when we reframe our expectations away from generation X, Y, Z, generation AA, which will be the next one or something creative like that. But when we reframe our view away from time and say that God has a world for us that is beyond our time and he is speaking to us from that eternity into now through Jesus Christ, it gives us the faith to do these things. Loving people matters because it matters in eternity. Hating people doesn't matter in eternity. Being people of truth matters in eternity. No truth or falsity or lies does not matter in eternity. Hope matters in eternity because we will realize it. Whereas living in despair now does not matter in eternity. So we become people of eternal perspective. Now these four are things we've got to wrestle with to be living our lives according to the meaning and purpose that God has for us. I don't define them any tighter than that because the generations will respond differently. If you're a Generation X here today, you'll take those four and, and implement them in a certain way. Generation Y will implement them in a certain way. Generation Z will implement them in a certain way. But what I want to just share with you is that these are the undeniable core elements of the gospel. Love, truth, hope for a greater eternity. And if you're wondering how these all tie together, they make sense in one person, Jesus Christ. He's the one that brings together love and truth. Actually, the Bible says that grace and truth was revealed in fullness in the person of Christ. He's the one who is our hope. He is the one who shows us the eternity which is to come. Now, this incredible person that I'm talking to you about, you can find out more about him in the scriptures. You can find out more about him from his people, the body of Christ, the church. But the most basic things we need to know about him today, if you've never met him, is this. Jesus is a historical person. He lived approximately 2,000 years ago for a period of about 33 years. He walked, talked, ate, slept, slept drank, so on, so on. Knew people, had friendships, had a mom, had a dad, had brothers, sisters. But he lived a life that was perfect, without sin. Why? Because he was born through a woman, but born of God. Every single decision that he made was a decision that would honor God, not choose the path of sin. And through that life, he was able to go to a cross, a very real cross, a historical cross. But he was crucified, gave his life, 
But the giving of his life was not just for himself. In fact, it wasn't for himself at all. It was for us, every single one of us who would come to the saving knowledge of his grace. And it's through that act that that world that I was talking about is possible. It's through that act that the wholeness I was talking about is possible. It's through that act that we can know the truth. Jesus gave his life upon the cross. But then the scripture records something more profound than that, that three days later he rose from the dead. 500 and more people saw him physically on the earth before he ascended to heaven. It's their testimony that we stand on today. It's their testimony that we can believe in today. But all of that history tells us about all that I've been sharing with you. That God has a plan, eternity, forgiveness for you. You too can enter into a living relationship with the living God today. I, I thought he was on the earth 2,000 years ago. Yeah, he was. He was on the earth 2,000 years ago. He is going to come again. Right now, he's seated at the right hand of God, waiting to return. And in that time, we all have our opportunities to love, to speak the truth, to hope, and to dream of eternity.